you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, there you go. If you need an oil change, transmission tune-up, tires rotated maybe you need a realignment hey this is not a show about cars you know i got some questions today about cars i'm eager to get to those no it's not really about cars it's about your life sometimes those metaphors apply maybe you just need a realignment you know here we are new year's is gone valentine's day has passed saint patrick's day is over easter's around the corner we're trucking through what we thought was a brand new year and we still talk about it being a brand new year but we are going through the days rather rapidly. Well, this is Dan Meller. We're going to be talking about your questions, your real-life questions about work, what you do to provide income, and also the way that you are living out your calling, your purpose, your destiny. That's the same thing that we call work. Best way to do that. We're going to be talking about your questions. Here's some of the things we'll be looking at. And then, and when we look at options, a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is just how do you expand the options that you consider? I mean, that's what we want you to do. Expand the options that you consider. And in doing so, you're able to make better decisions, live with fewer regrets, have more joy, peace, productivity, profitability in your life. That comes from understanding the options in front of you without too quickly narrowing down and saying, oh, it's just A or B. No, it's probably not. We'll be looking at that. Well, here's a quotation for us. This comes from Mark Twain, who said, keep away from people who try to belittle your ambitions. Small people always do that, but the really great make you feel that you too can become great. I have found that to be so true. It's the little people who say, oh, it can't be done. Nah, you can't do that. People who have, when somebody says, like here in Nashville, I mean, I'm in a town where there's a whole lot of musicians. When you hear somebody say, ah, oh, the record music labels have all changed. The music industry's changed. You'll never have a chance. You know what they're telling you? They couldn't do it. That's what they're telling you. They couldn't do it. That's all that means. I mean, talk to Carrie Underwood, talk to Taylor Swift, talk to people like that and see what they tell you about, can you make it in the music industry? They're going to say, well, of course you can, you know, do these things, get yourself out there. So don't hang around people who are telling you it can't be done. They're just telling you they haven't been able to do it. Well, here's some of the questions we'll be talking about. Dan, I'm feeling stuck in dog do as an entrepreneur. I blew it already. He's got a great term here, and I couldn't even get it out of my mouth. Let me start again. I'm feeling stuck in dog do as an entrepreneur. How's that for a term? Entrepreneur. Because he's got a pooper scooper business. What a great term. Entrepreneur. Dan, I feel I'm living in the wrong area, and it's holding me back. Should I just move? How can I start a coaching practice with parents of children with autism? Dan, I'm feeling so overwhelmed in my job. I actually shut down and freeze. Should I stick it out or leave now? Do I need a dealer's license to buy and sell cars like you talk about? I don't know what I want to do, but I'm continuing to further my education. And somebody asked me, now, if we get time to get to this one, it'll be interesting. Because someone asked me, how has Joanne changed you? 
golly, I've got a whole lot of years of history there. How Joanne has changed me, I'm not sure I even know. I probably ought to get her in here to, to answer that question. She could tell you. She'd love to tell you how she's changed me. Well, let's go right to the questions. And just a reminder, uh, again, we've, we've got a lot of cool events coming up. Now, some of them are sold out, but if you look at later in the year, we've got our Innovate Conference again in September that uh, you can still get in. The Coaching with Excellence events, we still have one of those coming up in like May. I know we've got a lot of people registered already, but if you want to if you want to develop your coaching business, come spend a couple days with us. We'll help you launch that. We've got lots of stories about people who have gone on to very successful coaching businesses after having been here for a couple of days. So check that out under the live events at 48days.com. Also check out our growing social networking community. It's not really a social networking community. That implies that we sit around and sip coffee and tell each other what we had for lunch. That's really not, it's a business networking community. So let's just call it what it is. It's a business networking community, but that's 48days.net. A lot of you, we've had a rash of new members there. A lot of people, the, the process is this. If you're not a member, you go there, just fill out a simple profile. That's reviewed. Our team may ask you a few more questions to see if they think you really are a fit for the group. A lot of people would just tell them, no, probably not a good fit. And of course, there's a lot of people that just want to get in a group like that so they can spam people and do goofy kind of things. I mean, we try to spot those on the front end and just don't let them in. And we have no problem at all just banning somebody if they pull the trigger on something stupid once they're in. But we really want it to be a place where people are comfortable sharing ideas and resources and certain that other people are going to do the same. So let's go to the questions. Well, a couple, couple of success stories like we usually start off with here. This comes from Eric in Chicago. Hey, Dan, here's a quick success story for you. You were kind enough to recognize me as a 48 days member of the week last November. At the time I shared with you that I had combined work and play when my new coaching business at harmonyinsights.com had taken me to Geneva, Switzerland to conduct a workshop on communication. Now, as I recall, he gave some small speech. I think it might've even been free to a group in Chicago. Somebody heard him, invited him to come to Geneva, Switzerland, obviously as a paid engagement. So he just went there. Well, I'm excited to let you know that I just returned from a second visit. This time I spoke for twice as long to twice as many participants before heading into the Alps to ski the most incredible mountains I've ever seen. They mentioned wanting me back a third time this coming July, and I'm already researching what sightseeing I'll do then. Thanks to you and the 48 Days community for inspiring this analytical introvert to dream out of my comfort zone. Well, thanks for sharing that, Eric. Obviously, you are moving around in that space provided by your analytical introvert personality, but doing some very fun things getting invited to Geneva to speak repeatedly. What a cool thing. Brent from uh, Jeffersontown, Virginia says, Dan, a really big thank you. I've been listening for some time, and now at the end of January, I pulled the trigger, left a $130,000-year job to work for myself in the same field. I now have a contract worth $157 an hour with all but four weeks of my year spoken for, and I'm looking to add two or three employees by the end of the year. Plus, I've started a second business making custom pens at somersetpenworks.com, and I'm ramping that up, too. 
I plan to release a free ebook in the next few months called Write Yourself a Memory, all about the importance of pen and paper letters and notes in the digital age. Thanks for your resources, encouragement, and motivation along the way. Dan, I wouldn't be here without you. Well, Brent, thanks for your note, and you wouldn't be where you are without doing the things that you've done, without taking action. I know it takes more than just information or hearing inspiring words. It takes a clear plan of action that you're willing to execute. And I commend you on doing that. What a cool story. Left a $130,000 a year job to work for yourself. You know, a lot of people would just consider there's too much risk. I'm just going to stay here. Just continue doing this. Nah, if you identify where you want to be, create a plan of action. You can walk out of things that other people would think are pretty comfortable as it is. All right, let me go on here. Eric from San Antonio. Dan, I'd appreciate your insight on this. Now, this is the entrepreneur. I'm the owner and operator of a pooper scooper company here in San Antonio. For seven years now, have the desire to begin anew doing something else. I make okay money doing this. We're netting over $60,000 personally. And in two or three years, we'll be netting over $100,000 just with the natural growth. I like doing this, but increasingly I'm finding myself desiring to do something else. South Texas summers are killer, but I'm so uncreative but obviously understand and not afraid of being an entrepreneur or as I current say in this current business, an entrepreneur, your wisdom is appreciated. Well, Eric, what a great place to be in. When I talk to people who are super successful as entrepreneurs, it's rarely that they are still in the first business they ever had. Entrepreneurs tend to go from one business to the next. That's part of why we have those goofy figures from the U.S. U.S labor statistics that say, oh, most businesses fail in the first four or five years. 80% of the businesses that started aren't around four or five years later. Well, yeah, it's because entrepreneurs start a business, figure out something better. They move on to that. It's not because they, there's that high a failure rate. It's just that we figure out new things and go on to that. I mean, it happens all the time. Now, here's the point. For you, once you've done all the things required to run a business like you've got already with your pooper scooper business, man, you understand marketing, you understand financial controls, you understand inventory, you understand customer service, sales, all those things, you can switch to another business easily. So you've done all the hard work by learning how to run a business. If you decide you want to do another business, boom, identify eight or 10 that would be possibilities do a little bit of research, choose the best one, and act. I mean, I love the process of change. I mean, if I had to do one thing continuously, I'd get bored. I don't care how successful it is. I love the process of change, as do most entrepreneurs. It's built into our, our nature, our wiring, our personality. So, yeah, you're in great place to go ahead and move into something else. Sell the business you've got. If you're netting 60000 Geez, sell it for 150000 That would be a, a reasonable multiple of earnings. Sell it to somebody else, take the cash, and move on. God, I just heard from a guy. Well, I think I, I, think I may have shared last week on here a guy who started a little lawn care business and based on just listening to me and decided he was going to do something on his own. He did. It worked pretty well. He just sold it for, I think it was $175,000. He just sold his little lawn care business for it. Now he's got the capital to launch him into his next business. Not a bad way to go. Not a, not a bad life to live. I mean, I love the process of exploring new ideas and seeing new things. 
Sherry from Portland says, Dan, thanks for creating a podcast. It's really gotten my creative mind working. Had a question about environment. I feel that I'm living in the wrong area and it's holding me back from moving forward. I want to be in a warmer location, but I just can't up and move as I have a young family. I often feel unmotivated to do much because of the cloudy, dismal days. Should I just take any temp job that would move me to a place with the climate I can thrive? Or should I just do my best here until the right opportunity comes along? What do you suggest? Well, Sherry, I suggest you create a timeline to make the change. Now, you know I'm big on 48 days as being enough time to assess where are you, get the advice and opinion of other people, list alternatives that you have, narrow down to three or four, do a little bit more research, choose the best one and act. And you can do all that in 48 days. Yeah, I would suggest you move. If you know that the weather's a bummer for you, you've got sad seasonal affective disorder or whatever term you want to give it, but it just makes you gloomy, my gosh, Go where you want to live. Don't let a job keep you somewhere where you don't want to be. Choose your lifestyle first. There's plenty of opportunities anywhere you want to go to live. So I always am going to push toward that side. So absolutely create a timeline. It may be six months. It may be a year. But even knowing that you're creating a plan to make a transition in that time frame will act as a new light on the situation, so to speak you'll be more optimistic because you know you do have a plan to make a transition. But yeah, I mean, I talk to people all the time, you know, gee, wish we lived in in Florida. Why aren't you, you know, go there. Joanna and I lived in Southern California for about three years. There was no real rhyme or reason to it. We just had heard about it. Didn't want to grow old, wishing we had lived in Southern California. So we went out there on just a little lark exploration. And we thought, Hey, this is cool. Let's do this. So we just moved out there. I figured out what we were going to do. We were there for three years. And then things were really hopping business-wise. But I really wasn't thrilled about the congestion and traffic, the smog. We rub our eyes every morning. I thought, you know what? I want to live somewhere where when we wake up every morning, we're where we want to be. Rather than what we were doing there, working hard all week. And then we'd take off on the weekends, go up to Lake Arrowhead or into Palm Springs or someplace you know, where we'd get out of where we were living. I thought, well, that's not the way we want to live. So in three years, we just decided, yeah, let's move. So we made a list of possibilities, did what we call a Ben Franklin close. We list the positives and negatives of certain areas. And guess where we are? Nashville, Tennessee. And that's how we made that move. And we moved back here. I had no idea what I was going to do work-wise. Had no idea where we were going to live. We just decided this is where we wanted to move. That made the change. We had um, two small children at that point, two small children at that point didn't matter. Kids adjust. I knew I could land on my feet and do something. We just moved, figured it out once we got here. Melissa from Boston. First, I love your show, your books in the 48 days community. I'm in a pickle financially without going into a lot of detail. I'm in quite a bit of debt and recently made a cross country move. I'm in a hundred percent commission sales job. It's a good product, but I'm really having a hard time making sales the same time I'm slowly working on my own business. You've talked about the financial crunch you were in when you took the sales job to work your way through your business financial troubles. Can you share more about the process you went through in making sales and getting back in your feet to start your own business again? Were you teaching the career classes at the same time you were doing the sales work? How long did it take you to work through 
to pay your debt off. Well, Melissa, as you may have heard me talk, I, I had a lot of debt. I didn't just have a little debt. I didn't have six, $8,000. I had $430,000 in debt. So I, I had a mountain and I just made a decision that I was going to work through that rather than walking away from it. But it was a big mountain. Now, being an optimist like I am, a glass half full kind of guy, I thought, eh, a couple years, I'll knock that out and go on my way. Well, I was not able to do that in a couple years. Now, I almost hate to tell people how long it took me because I don't want it to seem discouraging. But what I want you to hear is my life didn't stop. My family life didn't stop. My kids didn't stop having fun. We continued all those things even while I was working on this mountain of debt. But I took a job, 100% commission sales job, selling proprietary training programs to kids who were out of high school but hadn't gone on any further. So, you know, we're sending them a truck driving school, travel agent, hotel management, those kind of things. So that's what I did, commission only, and I just hit the streets. Well, I developed real targeted areas where if I see somebody sitting on the front porch at 10 to 30 in the morning, chances are they need a better opportunity. So I'd tell them about a better opportunity. I developed a 12-question questionnaire where I'd just approach people on the street, say, hey, I'd like to get your advice and opinion. So I didn't approach them as, hey, I'm selling something. I want to get your advice and opinion. People love to give you their advice and opinion. They would do that, but I had the questions structured, so I walked them right through a sales process where they got to the last question, and essentially it was, God, if there were an opportunity like I just described that was available to you, would you be interested well, sure. I'd already gotten them to say yes, bob their head five times. You can sell them anything. So I'm, I'm condensing a whole lot of information, but I love the selling process. And I, I use that to come back and start making reasonable money. But because of the complexity of the debt that I had, a lot of that, I mean, about 150000 of that was to the IRS. That gets very, very sticky. And because of the interest and negotiating and all the compounding things with that, it actually took me 12 years. It took me 12 years before I was totally free of that. In that period of time, we could not own a home. We couldn't own anything. The IRS would seize it. And it, was, it took me 12 years to unravel that mess. But again, I want to emphasize, I mean, that doesn't mean that I was just eating beans and rice and we weren't having any fun during that period of time. Now, we, we did a lot of things that uh, we didn't go on fancy vacations. We didn't have fancy cars. A lot of the things that I enjoy, we did not do during that period of time, but it, it did take me that long. And yes, I started teaching those classes on going through career transitions like that during that time. Started teaching what I needed to learn myself, which is often the way that we learn best. So yeah, it was during that time. That was when I put together the first initial material that then became 48 days to the work you love and that became a published book and that did you know extremely well and so you know that helped me accelerate the process as I got toward the end of that 12 years but it was 12 long years before I walked into my office one morning and the fax machine started peeling off 14 pages of IRS lien releases so that was a long dry spell and I don't wish that on anybody but um, well anyway I'll, I'll go on but yeah you know you can be in a pickle financially, and I'm optimistic that you can get through that. I think Joanne's optimism waned some in that period of time. She really wondered if we'd ever have anything, ever have our own house again, ever be able to enjoy some of the things we'd enjoyed previously. But not me. I mean, from day one. I mean, during that period of time, man, I'd still cut out pictures of houses that 
we wanted and put them on the refrigerator and I'd stop at the car dealerships and look at the kind of cars that I knew I was going to be driving again someday. It took a while. I, in that period of time, golly, I had um, a, a Ford Taurus. I bought an old Ford Taurus and it was a four-speed standard shift, four-speed on the floor. And I drove that thing and I think God held it together just to honor my faithfulness during that period of time because it went way longer than what I usually see Ford Tauruses going. It just held together and kept going all during that time till we were able to get out of there and hope to never drive another Ford Taurus again. Nothing against them if you enjoy them, but I I was hoping to to move on to some other kind of vehicles. Well, Maritza, Maritza from Lorain, Ohio. Says, Dan, I live in Lorain, Ohio. I'm a wife, mother of three boys. One is with severe autism, and I have been a volunteer counselor at the church at our church for um for one a week for once a, no twice a week i'm sorry been a volunteer at our church twice a week for one year now i'll receive my associate's degree in psychology with specialization in christian counseling from liberty university this may will also be attending your coaching with excellence program in may my question is how do i branch out how do I plan to start making a little income? I'll be taking Christian life coaching in June. I also specialize in helping families that have children with autism as it hits close to home with having a six-year-old with autism. Thanks for your help. Love, love your program. Well, Maritza, thank you for your uh, your comments. And oh, I look forward to seeing you here in May. Here's how you can launch your coaching program. You can do it immediately. You don't have to wait on even the degrees you've got coming shortly. Choose a name. Get a simple website up that you need that for credibility these days. It's like a nice business card, but choose a name, get a simple website up, develop your elevator speech, create three options for your coaching, then tell everyone you meet what you're doing. That's really all you need to do. Choose a name, get a simple website up, develop your elevator speech, create three options for coaching packages, then tell everyone you meet what you're doing. Make yourself available for interviews, write a blog, do some guest post, offer to speak at your local Rotary Club, civic organizations, mom's organizations, and you're going to fill your schedule really quickly. Now, when I talk about developing elevator speech, don't just say, I'm a counselor, I'm a Christian counselor, or I work with autistic kids. An elevator speech is something where you, if somebody says, I'm a dentist. Well, okay, fine. What do you think about this weather? I mean, you just go on. There's nowhere to go beyond that really of any interest. But if you say, I work with people with low self-esteem and absolutely transform what they see when they look in the mirror. Wow. Would that get your attention? Would you'd want to say, wow, I know somebody that needs, what do you do? How do you do that? It engages somebody. What you want to say is you may say as an elevator speech, well, let's see, working with children with autism, you may say, I love to help parents see the genius in a child who sees the world differently. I mean, just something like that. That's an elevator speech. So you present what you do in an interesting conversation, stimulating way. And that engages you in people and they'll immediately start to think about people that who need the services that you provide. Hey, good stuff. Well, hey, just a reminder, I am Dan Miller. You're listening to the 48 Days Online radio show. 
kind of an outgrowth of all the things that are going on in the 48 Days community at this point. Lots of people involved in the 48days.net community. You can check out your friends and people you wanted to get to know there. If you got a question for me here, just go to the 48days.com site. Click on the podcast link and you'll see an opportunity to, pr- to put your question in there. You can either write it out or put it in verbally. Either way is fine. Well, Brian from Cleveland, Ohio, I'm coming up into my first year in my new job here within a month. Most of the time, I'm overwhelmed by the incoming request, personal issues and challenges every day. I actually shut down and freeze. I'm fighting fires and not getting real work done or any sense of achievement. This job may have stretched me and I feel I've stretched myself out pretty well, but I I want to work. I'm not sure I want to work in this much longer. Is it okay to say this position isn't for me and to move on to something that suits me better? Or do I learn to accept this and try to change myself to fit? Well, Brian, does this job match your skills and abilities, your personality traits, your values, dreams, and passions? Is it a fit or is it a mismatch? If it's a mismatch and you recognize it's not a fit, then by all means, get out. After a year, you've got enough information to let you know that. Just move on. Do something else. Now, does that mean that we always just walk away from something challenging or something where we have a learning curve? Absolutely not. But we still ought to know, boy, this is a move up in the direction that I'm going, that I desire to go. We ought to recognize, is it a fit? I mean, if I, uh, last night I started teaching. I started teaching at one of the local colleges here and teaching from my newest book, Wisdom Meets Passion. Now, I haven't taught in a consistent classroom in a long time. Do a lot of speeches, one-time presentations, workshops, seminars, but to teach over an extended period of time is a different kind of engagement. Now, do I feel stretched? Yeah, it's a different kind of thing. I have to develop, you know, the syllabus and coursework and accountability for students and have some method of grading them as they go through. Am I just going to bail on that? No. I mean, I know in advance. Those are things that are enough in line with what I do and things I want to do. And plus, my real goal is to develop the curriculum for wisdom meets passion. So we can put that out there as a seminar that anybody can teach. So that's what I'm doing. Really. I'm just doing the prototype the run through to get real life feedback from students so I can refine the material. And then we present it as a way that anybody can teach wisdom meets passion. So if, if this job you recognize that it's going to develop things that you really want to develop, yeah, challenge yourself, stay there, man up, do it. But if you know that it's a mismatch, nah, don't beat your head against the wall. Give your notice and move on. John from Little Rock says, Dan, I'm interested in starting a vending business on the side. As a person that leans toward being risk adverse, how do I properly evaluate a business opportunity? I feel I can talk myself out of any opportunity unless everything is perfect. Let me me stop there. I see that happen every day day of the year where somebody who is risk adverse let's say that somebody is a high c on the disc personality profile so they they like to get a lot of information before they make decisions what they can do is get trapped in analysis paralysis by analysis and they reject any idea because they discover the fatal flaw before they ever start so they can come up with 16 yes buts 
before they ever get their feet in the water. If you know that's your tendency, yeah, then recognize you're going to have to get past that or you're never going to do anything extraordinary at all. Now, let me, anyway, so John is saying, yeah, he really wants to get involved in vending, but he knows he can talk himself out of an opportunity. I have a hard time reconciling my fear of failure with what opportunities are wise to avoid. I want to get in this game, but be wise about the situation. I recently had the chance to purchase a vending business. I loved the location, but the owner did not track his monthly financials. And after meeting with him, I doubted he was making the money he claimed. Also, a group of users on a vending machine message board advised against this machine and its cost. I wanted to use this opportunity to start my vending business, but felt it was not wise after completing my research. Well, you may be exactly right. Let me say this about vending. Vending is a great business. It's very dependent on location. And there's some, and a whole lot of people get burned in vending, but it's still one of the top three millionaire makers in America. Vending. I mean, think about it. It's an ongoing cash machine. If it's in the right location, it works 168 hours a week. You don't have employees that do that. They're going to work 40 and then moan and complain about having to do that. Vending machines, man, they're just out there collecting money. If, if everything is set up right. But you do have to make sure that you accept responsibility for getting it in a good location. If it's a good location now, something may happen. And can you get it into a, a good location ongoing from there? Now, I had a, a story about having cashew machines, hot cashew machines. When I was 18 years old, I got grant money from the government for college. It, it happened to be $1,800. So that was for my college grant money because I was a poor farm kid. But man, I had entrepreneurial stirrings, believe me, long before I was 18 years old. So here I am, 1800 bucks in the bank. It was more money than I ever had in the bank account in my life. I'm not just going to let it sit there. I'm going to invest it, double, triple, quadruple my money, right? I responded to a little ad in the back of a magazine and I got 10 hot cashew machines, 180 bucks a piece. 10 hot cashew machines. Now I was 18 years old. This is a whole, this is a lot of years ago. That was a lot of money. As promised, the company sent somebody down to place those machines for me, which they did. The guy who came down, I think he was half lit when he got there and proved that he was going to add to that dramatically. As soon as we met, he took me around to the sleaziest bars and hangouts in Mansfield, Ohio, places that I was mortified to go in. I was a simple little Mennonite kid. I'd never been in a bar. He took me in there, got those machines in there. The owners got a small percentage of the revenue. I immediately started getting calls from the owners of those machines. Now, I love cashews. I love cashews today. What could be better more satisfying in your mouth than hot cashews. But guess what happens to hot cashews if they aren't turned about every four hours? They mold. They mold. Those machines had moldy cashews in them within three days. I was getting calls from the owner saying, get these things out of here. Our inebriated customers don't appreciate putting their quarters in there and getting what they're getting. And I did. I went around and got them out. I never placed them anywhere again. I hid them in a chicken coop on our farm. My dad, to his dying day, never knew I had those. I ultimately sold them for scrap metal. 
for pennies on the dollar. And of course, when my tuition came due, I had to scramble, get out and hustle to make the money to pay my tuition because I had blown the money that I had gotten as a grant to pay my tuition. Now, the, my point is this. Did I learn my lesson? My gosh, I'll never do vending again. It's a stupid business. All you do is lose money. People lie to you. No, that's not the way I view that kind of thing. I love vending. When I had health and fitness centers, I talked to people. Of course, you have Pepsi and Coke machines in there and companies want to come in and put in their candy machines. I said, no, this is my company. I bought machines, vending machines. I bought the drinks, the snacks that we put in those. They were extremely profitable because now not only was I getting a little kickback from the vending companies, you know, 10, 15% on the back end. No, I bought the product and we were tripling and quadrupling our money by selling them to those vending machines. Let me take you a step further. Many of you are familiar. You hear me talk about our profiles, our disc profiles. The disc profiles, that is the hottest selling product that we have. It outsells my books. We sell more profiles than anything. We sell thousands of profiles. We have major companies that buy them, you know, 200 at a time, the profiles. Now think about what that is. It's an electronic vending business is all it is. It's an electronic vending business. Now with cashews, I have to run across town with a truck and back up to the warehouse and unload and fill the machine again with, with an electronic vending machine that we have, which distributes our profiles. We introduce people to the electronic source where they can go in there anytime, day or night, 168 hours a week, and they can have somebody complete a profile. They purchase. So they purchase their inventory. They purchase their cashew, cashews 200 at a time. When they run low on inventory, they email that they need to be restocked. We restock them instantly. So we have customers in Seattle and Houston and Columbus, Ohio and Miami. It doesn't matter. But if you think about it, it's an electronic vending business. I love thinking about it in that way. And I love the potential that that has given us. That's an extremely profitable part of our business. So I didn't walk away. Gee, I'm never going to do that again. I learned from the initial experience in vending and learned how to do it better. Now, let me address your question, John. When you have a physical vending machine, you are very geographic centered. If you have a machine in the first floor of a third store office office building, that's your clientele. People aren't going to drive across town to come and put their quarters in your machine. I mean, it doesn't happen that way. So you're very, very limited. But now let, let me let me give you another example because I love what you're wanting to do here, but I want to stretch your thinking a little bit. I happen to love books, love everything about books. I love the feel, and I mean physical books. I'm still not as enamored with digital books. Yeah, it's convenient on airplanes and things, but man, I love having a real book in my hand. I still, if a book is something, I scan a lot of books electronically, and if it's a book I really want, I'm going to order it, the real book, to put on my bookshelf. Because I'm a book guy, it'd be real tempting to have a bookstore here in Franklin, Tennessee, the little quaint little town just south of Nashville where I live. I'd love to have a little bookstore like that, but I'll never do that. I know too much about business. 
if I have a bookstore, I'm going to have about a five mile radius of prospective customers. And I have to get a pretty large percentage of those prospective customers to make that work. Plus then I'm dealing with entry level employees. I've got to be open evenings and weekends when I don't want to be tied up. I got to have sign permits and leases, all those kind of things. That's not what I want. I just want to sell books. So I have a virtual bookstore online. Now I theoretically have access to anybody in the world who has internet access. I can get a real tiny percentage of the prospects in that market and still knock it out of the park. I mean, we do way more in book selling than your average physical bookstore does because of that very fact. So I would encourage you, can you look at other things that you could distribute rather than having a physical vending machine? You may be a distributor for the next uh, doggles, sunglasses for dogs or whatever. So you have a little website. It's much like a vending machine, but you remove the geographic limitations of what you're describing now. Well, let me move on. I've got kind of carried away on that because it's something I really, and it's a good example of how we look at businesses and then stretch our thinking to see other possibilities. Mike from Virginia says, last week a man asked about taking a 20% pay cut to take a better job. You told him to look at more options before he made that move. And Mike says, I'm in a, currently in the process of leaving one field, entering another. That is based upon my passion and vocation. However, to do this, the new job starting offer would require me to take a 20% cut as well. I currently make around 180000 so the 20% wouldn't hurt us too much due to the good financial shape we're in. Personally, thanks to you and Dave Ramsey. My question is, is it suitable to take a temporary pay cut to transition into a new job if that w- job is working in your strengths and passion? Or if the pay structure positions you to exceed your current income limitations in the foreseeable future to just take a step back to get a couple steps ahead. Yes, absolutely. Now, in that previous situation where I cautioned the guy against doing that, he, he said, and I went back and looked at it real quick. He says, I'm already not making much money and I'd be forced to take on another job just to make ends meet despite having no debts and a very tight budget. So that's a very different kind of scenario. He's already barely making it. So he's going to take a 20% cut and that's going to force him to take another job. So now he's going to be away from his family more. I mean, that's, that's not a good choice in your situation. That's a lot different. I mean, once you're making $150,000 a year or so, you can justify looking at new options that may drop your income a little bit, even especially if it's temporary so that you have a better sense of fit, satisfaction. Yeah, I I advised that previous listener to look for new options because we so quickly think, well, it's only A or B. Either I stay in this job where I'm barely getting by now or take this job where I make a little, uh, where I have a little bit more fun, but I make even less money. My encouragement is don't expect your options to include only A or B. What I encourage people to do a lot of times is forget A and B. I want you to come up with options C, D, E, and F. I mean, Albert Einstein was once asked what the difference was between him and the average person. He said that if you ask the average person to find a needle on a haystack, the person would stop when he found a needle. He, on the other hand, would continue tearing through the entire haystack looking for all possible needles. I love that reference. 
Looking for a needle in a haystack? Sure, I found one. I'm done. No. What if there are 10 more in there? What if the ninth one you found had way bigger potential than the first one? That's the process that I encourage people to do. Well, we got a couple car questions. Flipping cars. I guess I talk about that too much. It's something that I still enjoy doing. My head gets jerked around three times a day, seeing cars that are for sale, cars that I think, oh man, I'd have fun with that. So this comes from, let's see who's asking this question. Josh, Josh from Fairfax, Virginia. Dan, I often hear you talk about flipping cars for a profit. That falls within my area of interest as well. As ability and doing research, it seems I'm required to get a used car dealer's license to do this in most states. Most states I've researched require that you maintain an office location with a car lot in order to get a license. I currently can't afford to do this. How do you suggest one flips cars legally with these requirements? Seems that I can sell up to four cars per year without a license. So I intend to start with this, but would like to, to do more. Look forward to your insights. Always enjoy your podcast. I've joined the 48days.net community. It's been a great resource and inspiration for me to launch my website, Chapman Coaching. All right, Josh. Um, well, I got another one. Well, I'll address this one. I got another one right here on cars as well. But you're wondering about having to get a dealer license. Well, it depends how much you want to do this. But you, you say that you can sell up to four cars in your state. So let's say that you do this. So let me use me as an example. So I can buy four cars, you know, Dan Meller. Um, I can have four cars registered to Daniel Meller. I can have four cars registered to Daniel J. Meller. I can have four cars registered to Joanne Meller. I mean, see where I'm going with this? I mean, now I don't want to make it appear that I'm just trying to skirt the law, but uh, to me, this is a, a minor thing where if you want to flip a few cars, you really don't need to. You can do a lot without having to get a dealer license. Now, I'm familiar with dealer license. You know, they want you to have, you have to have like 2,000 square foot of paved or gravel area, an office with a sign that has nine-inch letters and that kind of stuff. You know, and if you're really going to set up a lot, then go ahead and do that, have fun with it. But if you really do want to just flip some cars and do them from your front yard, you can do a whole lot without ever getting a dealer license. The other thing is, I'm sure I'm going to get criticized on this, but the other thing that I do more often than anything is just have the person not put my name on the title. I mean, I've got a car right now sitting out here that I bought from a gentleman. And so he signed off on the title, but he, we didn't put any name on there. So I can sell that car and it never is registered to me at all. Now, I know that also bypasses me paying sales tax, and maybe you've got a problem with that. But, you know, I, I do, you know, a couple cars a year like that, where I just don't have the... Now, now let me kind of cover my back on this. At this point, I am not flipping cars to sell them and make a profit. A little car that I have sitting here right now I already know who I'm going to give that to. So I, I'm not flipping these to make a profit. So if I get somebody, I buy it and don't put my name in the title and I give it directly to the person I'm going to give it to and we just put it in their name. That's what I'm doing. But again, I'm taking ownership. I, there's no question about that. And I can do that many times over by doing it that way. 
Adam says, I love the idea of buying and selling cars for some quick cash. I have a lot of experience buying cars in the one to $5,000 range due to my getting out of getting out of debt and also helping my friends. My day job puts me in contact with temporary foreign workers who are in this country for six to 24 months. They often are looking for cars in this price range. I figure I can probably sell 10 to 15 cars a year to this community easily. Is there a point where I need to become a licensed dealer? Well, I kind of already addressed that. You can do 10 to 15 easily and not get a dealer license. Now, the other thing, in addition to the things I already told you, where I register them in multiple names that I have or just get open titles and just flip them to the next owner. The other thing that I've done a lot over the years is just work with somebody who is a dealer. And I have a lot of dealer friends. I can go to the auction, buy things. You know, I've worked it out. I mean, for it may we've had agreements like for 200 bucks. I can use one of their dealer plates and just have that on the car until I sell it. So it's in their inventory, their name, although my cash is on the line already. And I've done cars like that where I was buying cars for relatives or something where I would just use a dealer's license to do that. Fun stuff. Golly. Um, let's see. You know what? I'm going to go to the question about Joanne. I'll tell you why. Where is that question? How has Joanne changed you? Good Lord. Can we cover that in a day or two? Okay. A lot of questions. Let me go to this one. Beth says, how has Joanne changed you? I have a husband who has broadened my horizons. I know you could not be the success you are without some of the ingredients of your relationship with Joanne. What has she done to make you who you are today? (laughs) If you have time, we would enjoy hearing how you met as well. Thanks for your podcast. Well, I talk a lot about the importance of loving relationships as being one of the foundational pieces for extraordinary success, no matter what you're going to do. I have no way of calculating the impact Joanne has had on my life to help me be the guy I am today. I mean, we were both so young and green and naive when we got married. We didn't know squat about anything, but we learned together. We hugged on each other and loved each other, grew into the people that we are today, supporting each other all along the way. And one of our, we have a, a CD set on that, Living, Loving, Working, which is one of our very popular products. How to do it, you know, we'll figure out some kind of special for podcast listeners. I'd love for anybody that wants that to be able to get that. But anyway, where we talk about the things we've been through to develop the life that we had today. How did we meet? We were at, we were both at Ohio State University. I was a beginning sophomore. She was coming in as a beginning freshman. And I don't know how many details to give you on that, but I was just simply checking out the new crop of girls coming in along with a couple of my buddies and being from Tennessee. Well, let me just say this, being from Tennessee, I live in the same town as Dolly Parton. And I was, um, I was noticing some of the same characteristics that Dolly Parton has in the new girls coming into school. I'll just leave it at that. You can fill in the blanks in your imagination. Joanne fit the criteria. We became friends, more than friends, very quickly got married very young. As a matter of fact, this Saturday, the 23rd of March, we will celebrate 45 years of marriage. I know that makes me sound like an old guy, but you know, he got married at 10 years old. Well, we weren't quite that young. We were pretty young, but anyway, 45 years. I mean, it's been amazing. Joanne has taught me to be more giving, more caring, not as blunt, 
I mean, golly, she's opened me up to my imagination rather than just being a realist. I mean, the, the value she's brought, her support of allowing me to fail, to go flat on my face like I did, to get us in amazing challenges and to support me nonetheless, never saying, why don't you just go get a real job, dummy? Obviously, you don't know how to run a business. Never heard that from her. She was always supportive. I mean, I have no way of calculating how much that has contributed to who I am today. But I certainly rank it extremely high. I know that she is a gem. And I know that her input has contributed beyond measure to my ability to do what I'm doing today. Wow, I I, I could go on, should go on. But anyway, um, thanks for the question. Great, great question. I hope that's encouraging because I, I believe that's possible for anybody. Well, we're taking care of business. A lot of topics covered today. Great stuff. I love the opportunity every week to dig into your questions. Keep them coming. Just go to the 48days.com link. Submit your question there under the podcast. Be happy to introduce that in an upcoming show. Check out the 48 Days events, 48 Days community. Continue on this wild, exciting, fulfilling process of finding work that's meaningful and profitable.